are so many amazing perks of being sober. And one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level. And it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, One Skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before. But let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I'm excited about One Skin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code HAPPIEST at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code HAPPIEST. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, and when we get sober, they can almost feel magnified at first because we're adjusting to feeling all our feelings again rather than using alcohol to numb them. I was honestly really surprised when I got sober at how many emotions came up for me. I remember literally saying, I have so many feelings right now, and it felt really overwhelming having to feel them all. But the great thing about that is that it gave me the clarity and awareness that I had some things to work through, like people-pleasing and like my own self-talk. That's where therapy can be so helpful because it's a safe space to get things off your chest and begin to work through what's been weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. What I really love about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com happiest today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash happiest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happiest Sober Podcast. Oh my God, do I have an amazing guest for you today. I know I say it every time when I have a new guest, but I am seriously so excited to share this one with you this week. So today I'm chatting with Brad McLeod from Sober Motivation. If you're on Sober Instagram, then you probably follow him because he is like the OG, (laughs) the OG Sober Instagram account. He was doing it before anyone was doing it. Um, I actually got to meet him in person a few months back. We spoke on a panel together, which was so much fun, but I'm so, so excited glad that I got to have this chat with him. Brad has his amazing community that he's built up on Instagram with Sober Motivation. He also has the Sober Motivation podcast and he also has his app Your Sober Buddy where he runs a community on there as well. So he is doing so so much for the sober community and he just has such an incredible and captivating and inspiring story to share. So you are going to take away so so much from this episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. So with that being said, I won't make you wait any longer. So here is my chat with Brad. Hey, Brad. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I've been so excited for this chat. We just talked a week ago on your podcast. So I've been super excited to have you here to get to hear your story. Yeah, no, it was great. In in, uh, the episode we put out, a lot of people loved it with you, Sharon. Oh, really? So yeah, thanks for doing that. Oh, good to hear. Thanks for having me. Um, Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited. And you're, we live close. You're, you're another, I think you're my, my second like GTA 
guests that I've had. Luke was the first Toronto who lives like right up the street from me. And now you, so that's, that's extra exciting as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that is. And it, you and Luke are the only two people that I've actually had on my show that I've met before. So, Oh really? Yeah. We got actually, on here. Actually, I think, I think same. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Um, <laughs> So, okay. How long have you been sober? What's your sober date? So January 11th, 2010. Wow. So 13 years. Yeah. That is insane. That's so cool. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. So could you tell me a little bit about kind of like what led you to sobriety? Like sort of take me back to what your drinking days looked like. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of drugs too. And Mm -hmm. And drinking. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it didn't look like anything too special. I uh, it was complete dysfunction in every area of life, relationships, employment, college. My self-esteem was just destroyed. Yeah. Hit this spot towards the end. There was a ton of consequences that were happening and they just kept piling up as I thought I'd figure something out and maybe I could think my way out of this. I just ended up back in the same place so many, so many times. And that was sort of one of the things that that was sort of at the end where I was uh, faced with this choice or this decision that I was either going to spend the rest of my life living this way or maybe possibly at the time I didn't believe it, but I could maybe figure out a way to get out of the madness and then that date's important too, the January 11, 2010. Now, this is a, a long story, but I'll shorten it down just for context here. Is I was living up in Canada at the time. I grew up in the U.S., but I was living up in Canada at the time, and I was doing pretty good. And I went back to visit my – was going back to visit my folks and this girl, and I, I have two brothers as well. And when I got off the plane in North Carolina, I got arrested. There was the cops there, and they had the this – well, it was actually a black and white mug shot. I, I don't know why I remember it, but I remember it. And they were looking at this thing. And I was I was I was coming off the plane and down the tunnel there. They were looking at me and they were looking at this paper, looking at me and looking at this paper. And I said, oh, wow, this is not going to be good. And then I was arrested and I didn't know how serious it was going to be at the time because I wasn't like a drug dealer or bad guy or anything like that. I was just, you know, used drugs and was drinking um, maybe, a, maybe a bad guy. I don't know, but I was like, well, it can't be that serious. What it ended up being was, it was like six felony charges of drug trafficking. So I had sold narcotics to an undercover police officer like years before that, but they just weren't able to catch up with me. And I wasn't mm-hmm. like intentionally running away from this. I had no idea that this was that this. Oh, thing's wow. Been- so that's the importance of that day. And then everything kind of changed that day. I was, I had this, this was a, the girl that was picking me up from the airport. We'd been dating for years previous after I got out of rehab. I got out of rehab in, uh, when I was uh, 17, around 2005, I believe. And she was an incredible human. And things obviously just went south because I was addicted. And it's really hard to maintain relationships with, with people who aren't. Mm. For me, it was anyway. And uh, she was picking me up from the airport. So the cops took me outside. Everything was good. Like there was no, it wasn't like on TV, like where they're throwing you around. Right? Everything was good. Like you're under arrest. These are the charges. I mean, you'll, you'll have your day in court type deal. And I was like, okay. I, I And at this time too, I had no idea of the, the gravity or the, how serious this was. 
So they put me on the cop car and it was in front of the airport where they had parked, but most cars just drive around, right. To pick people up. So out of the corner of my eye of just the, you know, strange timing, right. It always is when we look back, like, wow, that was just, that was just too, the timing was just too perfect for this to be a coincidence. And I look at my eye and she, I see her driving by in a split second there. And I could see her just smiling ear to ear. And, and and all these thoughts just ran into my head to where all the times I'd let not only her down, but my, my parents down, other friends down, myself down. And I just had this, this like overwhelming spiritual, weird kind of experience that I just made a commitment then and there that, that, that letting other people down, letting myself down, like that was over. I was not going to live like that anymore. And that's the kind of the story about that day. Wow. And that was the day that you got and stayed sober. Like you never yeah, drank or used again after that day. Yeah. So that day after that, I ended up spending a year in prison in the U S that was sort of my introduction. That was my rehab, you know, well, my been to a bunch of different places before, but yeah. Wow. And so was drinking always like from the very beginning for you, the first time you ever drank, was it always a problem for you or was it more progressive for you? How did that kind of unfold? Yeah. The first time I drank, I remember it. I remember this like it was yesterday too. My bunny said, you want to go to this party? And I I'd never drank in uh, high school or anything. I was never part of the cool, cool crew or had an opportunity for that. My folks never drank. I never They did drink, but I never saw them drink, never knew what being drunk was. I had no idea about any of that stuff. Hmm. And um, I went to this party and they had the cooler, the jungle juice, they called it. It was was like ever deadly. Yeah, it had a whole mix of stuff in it. Yeah. Drinking this stuff. And I first time and that was your first time drinking ever. My first time. Oh, no. (laughs) And uh, for the first two hours, it was incredible. Like mm-hmm. it was the best thing ever. I just fit in there. I mean, I was just fitting in and just talking to everybody and just felt so comfortable. And I n- never really felt that before. Yeah. Um, And it was just like this way to connect. And then after that, obviously, like the room started spinning and it, it happened pretty fast because I didn't know what what the heck I was doing here. But it was still this great night. And I was sort of the first time that. I um and I met like some people there and was able to connect with people and it was like what I'd been looking for. And then, right. you know, at the time I didn't know what was happening. I did, you know, I just knew that for once in my life, I really felt accepted by people and I wasn't able to really connect the dots until, you know, maybe a few months later. But yeah, that was definitely that was that's that was how it started. Wow. And so you had you had a few a few times that you went to rehab, was that like your own decision? Was that, was there ever a point before January 11th, 2010 that you really wanted to get sober or was it kind of just like, because things were happening because other people wanted you to, what was that kind of like inner like conflict like for you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I wanted to get sober many times. Yeah. I I was going to die. Like I was going to die from not, not probably from the drinking, but well, yeah, I mean, I could have, I had blackouts and stuff where I drove and, you know, I wrecked a car one time, like oh, that's scary, vaguely remember it, vaguely remember what had happened. But when I woke up in the morning, my girlfriend there, her parents had bought me this car and the whole side of it was like smashed up. 
you know so and and i i remember that night too we had went out and and um but it was weird you know looking back when those type of things happened it would take me back a little bit for like a day or two and then i would just say uh that's just a one-off that's just Mm. a one-time thing things got out of hand now i know better then i would find myself repeating these situations i blacked out another time and got you know started driving and um it's great. It, like I, that was never my my thing. I only blacked out a handful of times, and two of the times th- this was the story. And I ended up at my buddy's place, forty five minutes away. And um, he, you know, I don't remember it, but I woke up at his place, and he's telling me the story. Well, you came by once, and you're banging on the door at two in the morning, and then then you were gone. And then you came by again, and I'm like, this is madness. Like th- this should have been one of the red flags to say like, Hey, you know what? And when I look back, nobody ever mentioned, nobody mentioned to me that you should quit drinking or you should look at this. People would say, Hey, you got to take, you got to slow down for a couple of days. And like, that was fairly early on. So I was like, yeah, no problem, dude. I I could easily do that. I mean, it wasn't like it started out. I went to that party and then every day I was just drinking beer or liquor. It wasn't, didn't, didn't work like that at all. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, close calls i mean i even think about it from time to time like man like grateful to still be here you know and that's where i have like this immense gratitude for for recovery for sobriety for a better life and because i mean one you know one thing the wrong way it would the story would be much much different so but yeah i mean yeah i mean i went to rehab first time when i was 17 too i was in and I never even did drugs. This was a behavioral program. And my folks sent me just, they, they just sent me to this place. The Paris Hilton, I think, has made the, these places famous. I don't know oh, if really? You, if you've heard her story about it. Because she was sent to a place like this. Oh, was it like a really, did she speak out about sort of like abuse at this place? Am I remembering that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you went to a place like that. Yeah, so I went to this place. It was called Peninsula Village. So I was in the psych ward. It's my second time in the psych ward for suicidal thoughts in high school. Mm-hmm. I talked to my counselor and stuff because I was really struggling. Like I struggled way before I ever became an addict. Mm-hmm. Before I ever started, before any of this stuff, looking back, it's like, how could I have avoided this? Like it, the chances were probably of hitting a Powerball. Like it was that, it was that slim. Because I already had all the different signs, right? Like I was acting out early on. I was diagnosed with ADHD, depression, anxiety. I was on medications in high school. I was on Adderall. And there was, I just wasn't behaving. I didn't do well in school. I, I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I mean, like this just, this just lines you up to find mm-hmm. something that works. The problem, or maybe not the problem, is that drugs and alcohol take all that stuff away. Until it doesn't, yeah. right? It works until it doesn't, for me anyway. So they sent me to this rehab. I'm in the psych ward for the second time, right? And, and when you're 17, it's really, really hard, or at least it was for me, to really take anything serious. Mm-hmm. Right? You, just, you just think, this is all season, right? This is just going to pass. I'm going to be a lawyer someday. And like because I fail every every single thing in, in high school, like that's I didn't actually want to be a lawyer, but that's the way I was thinking is that, just because this is a complete dumpster fire, eventually, like, I'll get it. It'll click. I'll figure it out. And life's going to be great. And <laughs> that, was, that wasn't the case. That that really wasn't the way it, it works. So my parents had people come in. They're like, we have this voluntary program. 
because I had to get my behaviors under control. I was getting suspended from school. I had my first uh, criminal charges at 16 and I was on probation. In in the state of North Carolina, you're an adult 16, right? So you get booked. Oh, wow. Adult jail, you're on adult probation. This probation officer, I mean, she was hard as a rock. She was hard. She would come to the jail. She has her jacket on her sidearm, you know, McLeod, you know, you got to got to show up for class right it's extremely embarrassing but i get it i mean that's the consequences for doing stuff but it was it was a hard thing to to deal with and i think a big reason i didn't get into substances then also is because i had to do drug tests i had to do drug tests when you're on probation they watch you do it so there's no real fooling around you might fool Mm -hmm. them twice or whatever but you know she was like they were they were serious about this stuff this was not like a joke and uh, my parents sent in these people and they're like, we have a three month program. It was like 90 minutes from the house. You live in the the woods in this cabin or whatever, and you do this program and then you're gone. But you have to voluntarily want to come to the program, right? You have to want to do it. And the problem was, is that I was just too defiant. Like I was just defiant by nature. I didn't follow rules. Like I didn't follow any rules. So except for that probation officer, I followed like most of her rules because I didn't want to go to jail again. So they came up with this plan B. This plan B was this like involuntary program where your parents can like sign you into this program where you don't have a choice. So after being at this uh, psych ward, uh, University at Chapel Hill um, Hospital, seventh, seventh or eighth floor, I think it was. These two security guard looking people. I'm into the room one morning, wake me up. Yeah, we're here. Your parents have hired us to bring you to this treatment center. So it's like a transport company, uh, one man, one woman. And they, yeah, so that was sort of how I got brought. And then this place, Peninsula Village, they bring, they brought me there. And it's a lockdown unit. It's in the basement of a cafeteria. It's a lockdown unit, chicken wire on the windows, you know, big dead wow. staff and stuff. So that's kind of how that played out. And then that was like 11 months or a year program too. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot at such a young age. Yeah. (laughs) And oh gosh. So then how do you feel like that kind of changed you after like, yeah. What, what happened after for you? Yeah, no, I mean, it was a great program. Obviously didn't like it for a first couple of months, but then you graduated and you moved out to a cabin program and you joined. You guys lived in a cabin and it was beautiful. We, we went to school on site there. We would uh, we did a lot of walking. We did a lot of consequences. Like if you did swearing and stuff, you'd have to do push-ups. And there were physical consequences for everything had a structure. There was a rule, I mean, to literally everything. Everything was timed. How long you had to go to the washroom was like 90 seconds or three minutes. And yeah, everything was com- so structured. But I got out of this program and it was good. You know, I graduated high school, which wasn't in the cards for me prior to that. Wow. I graduated high school. I got into college, which wasn't in the cards. I don't know how this ended up happening, but I got a shot. I got a shot at it. Um, it didn't last. It didn't last. So I got out and I got my own place too. I got my place. I got a job. I, I was dating this girl. Um, I was making new friends. I was sticking to my program, seeing my therapist, my psychiatrist, going to my family support groups. You know, I was doing everything, taking my medications. And then I had this, I had this grand idea and this grand idea that I didn't need to do anything anymore. I was good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that the structure and everything, like making my bed in the morning, keeping my stuff organized, 
all these things I had learned and I did every day for 12 months. It's crazy how, how fast you can convince yourself to get out of your routine. And that's exactly what I did. So I would start out, started out with hanging out with some buddies and stuff. And then this is when, when uh, the girlfriend and I ended up breaking up and I had a buddy of mine move into the place and like things just went downhill and it wasn't his fault. He was a really good dude. He was a really good dude, but I, all that sort of, see, I, I found the way to live to where I was able to love myself through the pro through the program that I did there. Maybe the problem was, is it was a ton of work. What was easier was, was drinking and doing drugs because then I could easily escape myself much easier. You know, you could spend five bucks and you can escape yourself and you don't have to worry about the other stuff. And what was your, like in, when you were kind of in your addiction and towards the end, like what kind of toll was it taking on your, on you mentally? Like what was life like for you at that point? Oh, it was bad. I was extremely depressed and just trying to escape every day. I mean, I lived to escape and escape to live. I had to, I couldn't deal with what I saw in the mirror because towards the end, I mean, I had all that stuff. I was in college. I had my first car. I had my first job. I had this girlfriend. I had good relationships within a short couple of years. I mean, everything was gone. Everything was gone. I got evicted from the apartment. I got put on academic probation for school. Then I got kicked out of school. I got another, I got my first felony charge too, when I was 18 and I was put back on probation. The weird thing there is they didn't drug test me then. Um, I told them it was for credit card debt. <laughs> they believed it. So <laughs> <laughs> they figured that one out. And they didn't drug test me then. And the consequences were just racking up. And I got mm-hmm. kicked out of that apartment. And I started living at my other buddy. I started living at my girlfriend's parents' place for a bit. And then, her, yeah, her and I split then. I started living on my my buddy, my other buddy's parents' place, but he lived at a town like half an hour and I didn't have a car at this time. I lost that too. My parents spent $15,000 on a new car and I lost that criminal activity. That was gone. That was just terrible, right? Because my my folks were like asking, where is this car? And I'm like, oh, it's in the shop. And like two months later, it wasn't in the shop. Um, so, I mean, my mental health was just destroyed too and I was losing relationships and then my buddy, his parents put me up for a bit. But I mean, when you live a life like that, you do, it's really hard to get up in the morning and feel good about what you're doing. Yeah. I was just bumming off everybody else. Like that's literally what I was doing was just like leeching onto everybody else's resources and not really creating any opportunity for myself and making these promises that I'm going to do something different. And, and the reality is when I look back is I didn't know how to do anything different. Like I just kind of gotten accustomed to this life of escaping through drugs and alcohol that I was just, I had no idea. And and at the time I didn't really know about like sober or sobriety or, you know what I mean? Any of that stuff. Unless you went to a 12 step fellowship group. I mean, people weren't, you know, really talking about it outside there. Um, Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. And so looking back now on that, January 11th. What did you do? So you have that moment of clarity of like, I can't keep living like this anymore. What did you do to make a change? Yeah. Went to prison. (laughs) That helped. Yeah, that helped. So after that, I ended up getting booked into the, to the jail and um, the bond was like $250,000 or whatever. So I wasn't getting out of jail. 
my resources too. Like there what there wasn't many people who were willing to help at this point because before this, a year before this, I went to rehab in South Florida. I didn't have any insurance, so this was a cash pay, and it's a thousand bucks a day. Wow. So I really uh, used up the last kind of resources that I was going to be able to get from family and all that type of stuff. So once I got in there, I mean, I had that I I had that idea that like enough was enough. And I can't keep doing this stuff. And I really, you know, I mean, when I look back, I really didn't like to be in jail. I mean, showering with other people and you're eating this food that's just terrible and it's loud. It's chaos. It's just I mean, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And it was just not a life I, I wanted to live in a couple of days in. And there was a lot of scary stuff that happened and a ton of trauma that, that comes from being in jail. But a couple of days in, I this question I couldn't get out of my mind. I it, it, I kept it kept popping up, and I'm like, dude, go away. It was like, how did you end up here? You know what I mean? Like, I want you. It was like this prompt for myself. Like, I want you to sit down and really answer this question about suburb growing up in a beautiful suburb, incredible, incredible folks. My stepdad, my mom. I have a, a twin brother. I have a, I have a younger brother. I had every opportunity to do well. I mean, my grandfather, before he passed away, he used to call me the million dollar man And that. Mm. And it wasn't probably a million dollars, but the amount of um, finances that went into interventions at, through over, throughout the years, I've been seeing doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, learning centers since I can remember. Everybody was kind of trying to, for lack of better words, figure out what was going on. What was wrong? Why couldn't I just do what I was told and just, you know, go with the flow? I never could. So I I had this thought of like, why me? Like, what happened here? And um, that was something I spent time exploring. My mom started sending me every self-help book that you could ever see or you could ever imagine. I started reading these books. And I just tried to figure out, like, where the heck did all of this go wrong? Like, was this something I did? Was this like, what happened? And um, I really spent some time exploring that. You have a lot of like downtime, alone time and, and stuff. And I, I kind of had this commitment, you know, over that year that like you got to do something different, dude. You know, it's it was it was that consequence, um, you know, calling my folks on Christmas and my birthday, it's like, this is, you know, I would be like, man, every day I woke up, I said, dude, don't enjoy a second of this. You know Mm. what I mean? A lot of people are kicking it and they're playing cards and, you know, smiling and stuff. And I did all that stuff too. I had some good times, you know, but I always told myself like, dude, you, you don't want to get accustomed to this life. Um, and that was kind of my motivation. That was kind of my motivation that like if something um and after afterwards too, because I grew up in the US about 16 years, but I only held a green card. So part of the plea bargain deal that was made was um that I would be deported afterwards and receive a lifetime ban um from the United States. And at the time I was like, man, that's overwhelming, right? Like that's overwhelming for a young man to 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 go through that. My folks still live there. Um but it was the best, best thing that ever happened in my life. You know, mm. it was it was like the doors finally closed and locked and got a hundred locks on it. You know what I mean? It's time to move on. And that's what I needed. 
I needed like a kick in the butt and I needed to move on from what was because I was trying to hold on to it. I was just really trying to hold on to like who I was and, you know, popular and, and having fun and going to parties. I mean, we used to party every single night, every night I'd get off working at the restaurant. I would jump into the shower, crack a beer and like the boys would be waiting for me to get out and we would go party. And like, it was a lot of fun, but I struggle with the growing up. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of people, they'll graduate university, but they still live in the city where the school is and there's no jobs there, but university student jobs, you know what I mean? It's like that, that failure to launch part. And that was, you know, the way I was operating and, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff happened in that year. I, I realized a lot of stuff, you know, that I needed to to make changes. And I never really, I mean, to be completely honest, I never really had an interest in like sobriety. I just had a commitment to myself that I wanted to like live a better life. Like I just don't want to live a shit life anymore. Um, and then like it, once you get into it, you start to realize like the more you explore, you're like, dude, every time things are um, not going well. <laughs> this crap is involved. So it's right. probably going to have to go. Wow. That's, it's really inspiring to hear you talk about that and your perspective on it because so many people could have gone there and let the self help books collect dust and counted down to getting out so they could drink or use again. And like you really used it, like even just saying that you're grateful for it and seeing like what kind of a gift that was because it was your wake up call. It's really inspiring. Um, what, what kind of, so I'm so like when you then got out after a year, now you're a year sober, but now it's your first time being sober where like you could, you had the option to kind of like go back to your old ways if you had wanted to, what steps did you take? Like what kind of changes did you make after you got out? Yeah, good question. Cause this was a slow process for me. Mm. So I had a, I see, I had interventions like I, I kind of mentioned before there, right? Like I had known, I have known what needs to be done to have a good life. Yeah. The problem means I just never did it. <laughs> I never did it. I never really believed in it that it was possible for, for, for a guy like me, like that I could have a, a, a fruitful life. So I got out and um, I leave the, the jail there. Um, they put me on an airplane at Atlanta International Airport. The U.S. Marshals drive me around back, and they have a stair little staircase at the back of the airplane, uh, and they put me up there. And I've got no shoelaces, and everything I own is in a cardboard box, literally. And it's just mail, not cash. Literally, just mail from from fell uh, friends and loved ones while I was in, and that's all I had. Um. But I never been I've never been happier to have so little in my life. I just wanted to get home. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You just want to get home at that point and nothing else, that other, you know, the material stuff just doesn't matter. But I get on this airplane and then um, yeah, I mean, I'm going back to to Canada, right? Where I haven't lived since I was six years old. I have no friends. I have some family, not my I have my grandparents. So my grandparents take me in to uh to live with them. And I mean, it was a slow roll, you know, and a couple a couple months, I got a job. You know, I was trying to figure stuff out, like try let's get a bank account. Let's do this. Let's do like just stuff that I should have known, but I just didn't because I was just fooling around. Um, 
learn responsibility, learn some discipline. And I read, but all those interventions I had previous, like that stuff, I didn't forget. I knew what I learned at rehab. I mean, I did the same stuff day in and day out for 12 months. So I had a lot of discipline. I, I, I had the tools, um, you know, I knew this stuff. I, I really, really knew what I needed to do to be happy. And if I knew if I was happy and I loved who I was, then I wouldn't be interested in using, like, I just wouldn't be interested in, you know, burning it down because I'm not the type of person who just dibbles and dabbles and fools around. It's mm-hmm. all or nothing. It's all or nothing um, for me because once the wheels get turning, I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have another one in another stop in me. Right. But then I had, I had two goals when I was in jail. I said, I want to be an addiction counselor and I want to get a German shepherd Two, you know, s- small goals, I guess, but they were <laughs> to me, that was monumental. I mean, I just mentioned like getting a bank account was overwhelming. And, um, I was home for a couple months and I was working at this restaurant and then I saw this course pop up, you know, this course at the college here, you could take this course and it was like a full-time course nine to five, Monday to Friday or something. That's, that's obviously too much. Like I've literally failed out of everything educational my entire life. But, um, I decided what the heck do I got to lose? I gave it a shot. I did this, I did this program and, um, like it was good. You know, it was hard. It was hard. Responsibility is hard for me. I graduated and I got this internship at this treatment center in, um, in Alora actually. And it was working with, um, teenagers about 13 to 19 and I and I worked there for six years and it was incredible wow. yeah and I was a clinical caseworker there um a counselor and yeah it was just uh it was incredible so you know that I think that helped me out a lot yeah you know that's like uh, helping people keeps you accountable right yeah for sure yeah and I think helping people and it helped me grow and I was able to develop some confidence in myself that I could do stuff and share my story and, and, you know, hopes to, you know, help and inspire other people. I I would, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16. I mean, it takes, um, it takes a big story to move these people, but we tried, you know what I mean? It's, it's really hard because I remember when I was there, right? Like you couldn't tell me anything and I, and I get it. I get it. Right. Everybody's different. Some people will, will do it, but yeah, that was a big, that was a big help. You know, I think with everything to be plugged in, you know, I mean, I'm plugged in 24 seven and some people that are part of working in recovery, they say, don't make it about your recovery. I went to celebrate recovery meetings outside of that. I really enjoyed the format. I'm not a big religious fella, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed the format of celebrate recovery because I didn't have any friends, nobody, no, but no friends, nothing. And I love the format because it's a three hour meeting format. So your first hour is you have a, somebody share their story or, or you do sort of a learning, the second hour is your small groups. They break it into small groups based on what you're struggling with and based on uh, what gender you're identifying with. And then after that, the most beautiful part of it all is where you would hang out in a ca- in like a cafeteria. Well, not really a cafeteria, but a cafe at the church. And um, you would mingle. And I mingle with all the old boys. It was literally older. Every meeting I ever went to from when I was 16, I went to my first meeting till probably then. I was the youngest fella in the room. Um, wow. I just kind of got used to that. But yeah, I just would hang out with people. We'd have pizza. Um, they would drink a whole ton of coffee. I would just drink, I don't know, 
Coke or, or Pepsi, whatever. <laughs> but it was a place to kind of connect and a place to kind of connect with people beyond the realm of like recovery, 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 sobriety, sobriety. I was like, dude, I just need to talk to like people that are moving and shaking that are just doing stuff. Like I just need to like hear something other than sobriety all the time. Like right. what else is out there? Like, what are you doing? What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? And then on top of that, I started to really get engaged in hobbies. That was like the gold for me was to get into doing hobbies. My stepdad growing up, I mean, if he owned a screwdriver, I would be surprised because he called in the service guy for everything. <laughs> and I was, uh, I got into buying tools and saws and started looking up like how to build stuff. And man, I just, I would spend hours researching this, how to do these cuts, how to do this. And like, I had no, I never ran power tools growing up ever saws, nothing. And I just loved every minute of it. You know, I do that. I would get in, I got into fishing. I still didn't have many friends, like if any. So I would go on these fishing Ventures. I'd pull up Google Maps. I'd say, there's a bridge. It goes over a river. Is there a place to park? And I would just literally wander for hours fishing and like most times catch no fish, but I had a blast. Wow. I love that you really had that mentality of like, I don't want to make recovery my whole life. I want to like find ways to just like fill my life up. It's like what you said earlier, which was kind of like, not wanting to make the focus, not using, but make the focus like being happy. So I don't want to use yeah. like, I love that. And okay. I want to ask, cause you really are one of the OGs at sharing oh. <laughs> online about sobriety. When, when, and how did that all get started for you? Yeah. Great question. So I worked at the job at the treatment center towards the end of it. Fentanyl started to become a thing. Mm. And we started losing people like on McDonald's washrooms and we started getting phone calls. Oh, it, was, it was a lot. Yeah. And the first two guys I worked with, that was their story. That's, you know, and one of the guys I, I met, it was years later, maybe three or four years later, we weren't allowed to talk with people two years after the program, but this was well beyond that. And I was in Niagara Falls and that's where he lived. And, and he got a hold of me. He said, why don't we link up for a coffee? I said, I didn't really want to do it. But my wife at the time, she said, you should do it. So we did it and everything was good, but it was, and this is segueing into the sharing the story, but everything was good. But I felt like this spidey sense that it was just too doggone good. You know, like this is, this story, this is true. I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I was so proud of this fella either way. I said, that's too good. But I left it at that, right? It's not my it's not my business to challenge everybody's journey, right? Mm -hmm. And then we got the call, right? And this just was just heavy, right? Like this guy, I mean, this guy's, you know, all of them were incredible humans. But this guy was just a, like, he was just a bright light, like incredible. And um, this kept happening, right? Like, we, I mean, it was just, it was just wild. So I couldn't do that. I was like, I went in on a side. I used to feel so much anxiety, right? Because the questions go through your head, right? Like, could I have done something different? They're like, what, right. you know, what, you know, what the heck happened here, right? And um, you can't help but wonder that as being human, I think. So I went into work on this Sunday, this job. I worked there six years. I really enjoyed like 92% of it. 
um, the other 8% of like people doing whatever they want to do was a lot. Um, and I went on this Sunday and I had this anxiety and I've been feeling this for a while, overwhelming anxiety and of that stuff. And just, you know, the stress of the job and, you know, trying to help people, teenagers change their lives is, 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 is heavy work. Yeah. And I, I just kind of had this feeling like, dude, I, I can't do another day. And I was I couldn't, I didn't. So it was a Sunday morning and I typed up a resignation letter and I threw it in my boss's mailbox and um, I left. I was talking to the guys I worked with. I said, guys, I, I, I don't even have another 15 minutes in me. And everybody was like, whoa, all right. You know, and I'd already made up my mind. My wife was pregnant with our daughter, our first daughter. Now we have three kids, but this is our first daughter. And, um, I just quit my job. (laughs) And so this segues into the story of I had been doing a little bit of research on like, you know, work kind of being a bit freer in your work and, you know, Mm -hmm. helping people is an incredible thing to do, but doesn't pay incredible amounts of money. And and it's not that I want to sound like I'm trying to be out, out here being rich, but I would love to have you know, a couple of vacations a year yeah. and take care of my family of three kids. I have three now. If I was still there making that salary that like I wouldn't, I would be in serious trouble. Um, So I was like, there's gotta be something more. I, I need some more time. I, you know, I'm working weekends. I'm working afternoons. I'm working shift work. It just all kind of, it all kind of just hit, but I had no idea what I was going to do, but I'm like, I want to help people in recovery. I want to share my story and maybe just maybe somebody will listen. So uh, that's how it started. That was like what my, my daughter's five and a half now. So yeah, I mean, five and a half, six years ago, six years ago and how it all started. I started, I started a Facebook group called recovery for the beginner. And we grew to like 10,000 members in like three months. Wow. We used to disconnect and try to, you know, help each other out and support each other on on the journey. And then things kind of evolved over time as you you learn more and you, you you know, check more stuff out. And um, yes, that's kind of how it started. I mean, it was definitely completely on accident. And in the meantime, this was like my entrepreneurship journey. I quit my job and I kind of I kind of committed to myself then and there like. And I have no idea, right? Like, no, I have no idea about business. I never did, you know, I never passed a test except for when I was in college. And it was really hard on myself after like a month because like I'd went to college and and spent all this money to get this one specific training that I was like, man, like what a setup. Like, what about if you ever decide what you go for isn't what you want to do? Mm-hmm. And of course there's transferable skills, but it was like, I mean, other people around me were like, okay, dude, you got to like screw your head on here because you have a, <laughs> a, a child on the way and you just quit your job and you're telling us you're not ever wanting to get another job, job again. Okay. Like uh, it's not adding up. So I used to cut grass. I used to, I used to clean cars. I used to do clean out hoarding houses, like people who, you know, had a mental disorder and they would hoard a lot of stuff. Like the place would be completely full. We'll clean it out. I would help my other buddy there, like work with them. And yeah, so I did all kinds of stuff, but yeah, that's, I don't know, long, 
terribly long answer. I'm sorry for your No, question. it's so cool to hear about. And that was that took so much courage from you to walk away from that job that you've gone to school for when you had a baby on the way. And I think I always think what's so cool is that I feel like getting sober is such a scary thing to do that I feel like it makes us more brave in other aspects of of our lives as well. And like even in terms of like you stopped settling like you weren't going to settle for the life that you were living anymore and then kind of same thing i always feel like that decision then translates into other parts of our lives like i'm if i can get sober i can like walk away from my job and figure it out and also just like i'm not going to settle for being in a job that's not making me happy anymore yeah that's really cool yeah that's you hit the nail on the head yeah that's exactly it how do you feel like looking at your life now so 13 years sober and like you're killing it with what you're doing and you're dad to three kids like and then you compare it to your life 13 14 15 years ago like how has i know it's in every way pretty much but like how do you feel like sobriety's really changed your life and you yeah i mean everything's changed at literally every aspect but uh <laughs> no i mean i never envisioned or imagined like having a life with a family and stuff that was just that was a, that was what they did on TV and then the movies that was never going to be a life I was going to live and I actually one of the really good things that came out about the the, the treatment center I worked at there is I, met, I actually met my wife there oh wow yeah so I met her there and yeah I mean it was a, a little bit rocky here and there right just like <laughs> most relationships are <laughs> um but yeah, I did. I do remember too, like before, before I even got in trouble and I got, you know, completely sober, I, uh, I ended up living, I was living on my brother's couch and I was living on his couch slash his floor. I always say that slash because sometimes I would live on the couch and sometimes on his bedroom floor, because if he had people over, he didn't want me hanging around. So I would sleep there. And, um, yeah, I never really, I never forget what it was like with that you know like i had and i literally like when i think back to that i had no food in the fridge condiments i had no clothes maybe four or five outfits that i never washed i never i never i don't know what i did i washed them in the sink i think but that's how i was living and um you know i didn't have jobs i lost all the jobs i had i used to work at little caesars and the the owner of the little caesars the place we were busy one day and the place wasn't clean he had about 15 cameras inside his place it was extremely strange and he came in and he threw a whole pizza at me one that came out in the tray and he threw this whole pizza at me and fired me and like that was that was like my thing is that my thing i just wasn't employable and that was hard right it's really hard when you have this full blown addiction and you're not employable to keep a job like you can't keep a job and you have to keep the addiction going. We don't have to, but I had to. I didn't see any other way. I never saw a way out of living that life. I mean, I had a 425 credit score. I mean, that was bad, too. Um, I just never saw a way out. But like slowly but surely. Things started to come together. But like for me, I, it, it took time. It took a long time, like years you know, and I think a lot of people that I talk to, they're expecting like bing, bang, boom, you know, 20 years of destroying everything. I want to fix in 30 days. And um, I knew it would take time. When I went to that treatment center, it took a year. Like I was there for a year to figure mm -hmm. out, you know, to figure out how to like behave and like try to do what I was supposed to do. 
And um, it just took time. But yeah, I never imagined. I mean, now we have three. Yeah, I have three kids. Like it just it's crazy. It's literally crazy. It literally is that I can be available and show up. It's not perfect all the time. I'll never try to sell that dream. Um, but that I could do that and that I could buy a house and like these things. Yeah, it was just so for me. I'm like, whoa, dude, like this was not supposed to be part of the story. But I'm grateful it is, you know? Wow. And yeah, so speaking of being a dad, like looking now, I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty supportive family throughout your addiction, but like, how do you even feel looking at like your relationships? What that's like now being able to show up for people? Yeah, no, I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible just to be available 24-7, right, for whatever um you know is needed right i couldn't imagine you know I, it's it's stories all the time it really breaks my heart you hear it about parents losing their their kids and stuff and um you know due to addiction and then you hear the great stories too where they 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 turn around and they they get them back and you know they're they're so happy for it and stuff but i mean i just i don't know if i could live with myself personally if i was still you know living i mean i had a hard time putting my own pants on every day I uh, I mean, it's scary, but, you know, it's just sort of keeping everything in perspective. You know, all of us are just one choice, one decision away from a completely different life. And that goes both ways for people who are like, right. yeah, I can't get this figured out. I'm still struggling. Like, you know, the great news is this, like you're one decision away from things working out or things not working out. Like that's up to us. You know, I'm. And some people too will, will, it'll be a spiritual thing or a religious thing and, and they'll be guided or supported. You know, for me, you know, I did the work, you know, I did the work day in and day out. I still do, you know, because I, I always know that that's still my reality is that I just won't be able, like, I'm not a one time guy and I'm not a one time guy because I never was after the flavor I was never after this substance or that substance. I was literally after let's turn off the brain and let's get there as fast as we can. And let's stay there for as long as we can. Like I couldn't handle the voices of, of beating myself up all day and the shame and the guilt and, you know, all the stuff we experience. So that's why some people are like, oh, can't you just have one? It's like, dude, I was, you know, if I could have, if I could have one, dude, I would, I would have figured this shit out a long time ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think it's, it's just incredible what can change. It takes time, but what can change? You can literally create a completely different life for yourself. And, yes. and you know, I've had the opportunity throughout that just to be a good person. And it feels good. Oh, I love that. And so what does life feel like for you now? Like I hit the lotto every day. Oh, I love that. I live by a really weird, a weird way of thinking. You know, it's just like every day could literally be your last and you got to start acting like, and I didn't take on that philosophy probably until maybe my first daughter was born. But now that's how I try to roll into things. And like nothing's 100% of the time. Like I come I, I come up short like more times than I would even probably want to admit here on the show. <laughs> but it's about that growth and it's about the awareness to say, hey, this is where, you know, we can do things differently or this is where you can do things differently. Being a father too, I mean, it's it, it poses a lot of challenges and you have to be extremely patient um, all the time. 
Like there's no, <laughs> you don't get a break from that. Um, and where it is incredible and it's the best thing that's ever happened. It, it does, you know, it does push you. You're, you're going to mm-hmm. have to grow. And um, yeah, that's how I go into it. I mean, it just, it literally just feels incredible. Even on the bad days. I mean, my worst day now, it's just nothing compared to what it was. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And okay. What advice would you give to someone who's listening? Maybe they're struggling with their drinking. Maybe they're the early days and they're having a hard time. What advice would you give to that person? Yeah. I mean, loaded question here. To I know. Up, I guess, <laughs> eh? I, I would say you got to get connected. You got to get connected to the right people. We got to start talking to people and be honest. So what's ha- What I'm hearing is happening a lot is people are in this gray area drinking or it's not a huge problem yet, but they go to people they trust and they say, Hey, Sally or Johnny, like I have, I feel like my drinking is it's not normal or I'm struggling with it. The problem is you're talking to other people who are struggling with the daggone drinking. Yeah. <laughs> unless they are, unless the person you go to is going to be willing to look at their own drinking, they're going to tell you the same thing they're telling themselves. Don't worry about it. Not a, you know, you're not drinking every night. Ah, don't worry about it. You still got your house and your job. Don't worry about it. So I think ta- having a conversation with the right people. And I think the other big thing is, I think the question gets asked wrong too many times, which is how do you get sober? You sobered up hundreds of times. Most people aren't daily drinkers. So the days mm. you took off, you're sober. The question you need to be asking people that you look up to is how the heck do you stay sober? Right. What do you do to stay sober? Message people, reach out to people and talk to people and say, what do you do? And if somebody asked me, I would say, you need to get a routine. You need to stop wandering around like every day is an accident and start to live with some purpose and some intention instead of just wandering around and just whatever happens, happens. That's what helps me as a routine. If you were a fly on the wall at my house, you would probably go to another house because I do the almost the exact same thing at probably the exact same time most days. It very structured because then I, I, there's no room for error. There's no room for, oh, well, what happened? Well, what do you mean what happened? I know what's what's coming up. So I think some routine, you know, because when I look back to when I was really struggling, I would wake up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon and I would just, hey, what do you, you know, it would just, there was nothing. There was no discipline. It was just kind of wandering around and, you know, hopefully something good happens. Hopefully I can get a few bucks in my pocket today. Like it was just, it was not good. So I would say those are a couple of things that you can, you can rock with. And I mean, see what happens, try it out. Like if you're like, Hey, I don't, alcohol is not serving me, which I mean, if you look at, you know, the science behind it, it's not really serving anybody. Yep try 30 days without. And the scarier that is for you, the more you need to. Yes. So true. So true. So well said. That was the little burst of motivation I needed because I've been struggling with my routine lately. And I was literally today thinking like I need to get my routine under control. And so thank you. I guess sober motivation. That's what what you delivered. I I promise. I promise. I'm the least motivational person you'll ever ever meet. I'm not a motivational person guy by any means i just there's a few things that have just been tried and true for me and in people 
that I see around me in, in the routine is a big one. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Oh my gosh. Okay. Tell everybody where they can find you, follow you, what you're up to, everything. <laughs> yeah. I, I also, yeah. I mean, I just started my podcast too a little while ago. We just crossed over 300,000 downloads and amazing. It's, been, it's just been an incredible ride to support from people. It's literally blown me away. I have no idea what I'm doing. 60 episodes in, do two episodes a week. Like it's just madness. I'm having a whole lot of fun. So if you want to check out the second best next to Madeline's show, <laughs> out there, not check, even <laughs> check us out. Um, sober motivation, sharing sobriety stories, and um, we have a lot of fun. And then Instagram, sober motivation, and yeah, I mean those would be some good places in it. You know, I try to get back to every direct message, which I know is pure insanity, but I try my best, and I've been doing it for years, and I'm just like holding on for dear life. Let wow. anybody else do it. So I try to, um, you know, do what I can to just help support. You know, I know how lonely it was when I first got started and there was nobody. And I felt like people didn't understand me. And I just felt like this was never going to get better. And that's the whole idea that the platform Sober Motivation is to have stories to relate to and sharing people's stories, not only to help those still struggling and wondering if I can figure this out, but I also really love to celebrate people who want to share their story. So yeah, check us out there and we'll have some fun together. And you know, that's it. Oh, I love it. This was so great. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening this week. Be sure to follow Brad on Instagram, go listen to his podcast, check out everything he's doing at Sober Motivation. If you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to share it with a friend or share it on social media. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at happiestsober and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at happiestsober.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so I'll chat with you next week. I hope you have an amazing week. Remember that life's happiest when you're sober. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.